Scoop's holding up a Polaroid, basically, from like 1962 <laughs> of him and Rochelle, for real. Scoop looks like four years old in that picture. That's really Ralph Tresman. That's not Scoop. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the B-Side. Scoop. Isaac. Jahan. Arthur. The music snows. Snows. <laughs> This is episode 33 of the Music Snobs podcast. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Scoop, Isaac, and Jahan. Special show today. I got Jahan and Isaac uh, hunkered down overseas in a bunker uh, in uh, London town. Isaac, how's the, uh, how's, the cereal? how's the cereal game going over there? Well, yeah, I, the listeners don't know that Isaac is a cereal, cereal snob. Yeah. Heavy into cereal. Oh, <laughs> right. Speaking of which, have you heard that new Usher song? <laughs> it ain't fall, It hasn't fallen yeah. into your bowl. <laughs> yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, Usher's last single was given away in America with cereal. Isaac, we get this. It's, it's Lala Anthony's cereal. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now he got That's it. Funny, yeah. Man. No, I think it, I, I think it's Honey Nut Cheerios. There you go. Lala up. Anthony. I think it's Honey Nut Cheerios. If you think it's goofy that Usher is going to release his song in a cereal box, then how can you justify being an Usher fan? Or does it just make it difficult? Is it one of those things that after they did, you know, they, they tapped Nelly? To do, you know, to be a spokesperson for Honey like Nut Cheerios. Like Sprite, like how Sprite was going for all the, yeah, but, all the rappers? Yeah, but I think Sprite is one thing because it's a beverage. You know, you could do things with it. So there's a, a skewing early. With the, I think it coincides with, with him trans, transitioning from just being an artist into doing other things. Like acting in a movie, playing Sugar Ray in a movie. You got the TV show. What is it? The voice he's on? Yeah, I yeah. think he was on last season. I mean, yeah. I think Pharrell's got his seat. Right. Well, but that's the transit. It's still part of that transition. Okay, you're doing this, you're doing this. And so when, when do you start compromising your art? to sell or find a different audience and mm-hmm. if, if you're starting to release songs through cereal boxes after doing you know sitting down and being a judge on a extremely popular american talk show you know after getting into acting and doing all this other stuff you know so i i don't know i don't know i don't know it, it's, it's different it might be that these guys are just trying to find new ways to to basically package their product for example you know prince about about five years ago now he gave away his album with one particular issue of the Daily Mirror mm-hmm. in, in London. Now, for those who don't know, the Daily Mirror is one of the most sensationalist, lascivious, you know, almost sort of pornographic at times, both in terms of visuals and in concept. It's one of the worst newspapers. And Prince gave his, uh, his 2010 album away free with that and looking at that newspaper particularly where prince is in 2009 10 11 12 you know and and so forth with his kind of religious sort of spiritual outlook Mm -hmm. that that newspaper goes against every single thing that he 
that he espoused and you know he's ended relationships with people business and personal based on the fact that they have you know different views to him so that that was a real kind of shock that seemed to be selling out to his own principles mm-hmm. you know rather than even rather than even the art but it might be but you know he was heralded as basically an innovator and you know a visionary for for doing this he was the only artist to have done it so um it may be that artists now need to to find these new um unique ways to package their products and reach an audience that would otherwise either not know them or not not believe in their relevance act act in the usher situation with doing this who what audience is he trying to reach though I just looked on uh, Business Week and real quick, they kind of addressed this with the Cheerios thing, with General uh, Mills thing saying, okay, Usher has 50 million Facebook fans Hmm. and 10 million Twitter followers, uh, makes him a popular spokesman for any product, blah, Hmm. blah, blah. Usher's appeal is particularly strong among parents, teens, and women, basically everyone, uh, African-Americans, Asians, and Latinos. So he's he, he has an enormous. I didn't know he had this broad of an appeal, but for General Mills, they're saying that um, they've lost a little ground and they're trying to uh, recoup some of that, specifically among people of color, Latinos. Um, I get it from so their standpoint, so but with his standpoint is agreeing to do it. I think that's where we're at, mm-hmm. and I think he gained. I, th- I think Isaac, it's not his music that necessarily gave him that 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 expansion of his fan base. It was doing a television show. It was being a judge. Right, but yeah. regardless of how he got there, he's there now. So mm-hmm. from him, you know, Usher famously said probably 10 years ago in an article, I think it was in Essence or somewhere, you know, I'm a businessman first. You know, mm-hmm. um, he's he was clear about that. He wanted to be a business person first and then an artist second. So for him to capitalize on that, you know, on the, the popularity that he now has, it, it makes perfect sense if you look at who he is. Also, those... Um, those quotes were from General Mills, right? From the company, right, right. from their corporate department. So they're going to be, you know, they're going to be justifying their choice of Usher, whether or not that's true. But one question for you guys is this, this kind of behavior of artists, are we looking at it strictly from the perspective of commercial endeavor? Or are we no. also looking at it from their personal behavior? Like, for example, the Chris Brown or, or someone like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd like to take it from the wider view, really from 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 us as listeners. I mean, are we are we hypocrites? You know that we listen to music from artists that we know are they may be drug drug abusers, they you know they may they may have committed crimes, uh, you know, up to and including capital murder, uh, or just plain you know bad staffing. You know, it's like, you know, can can we as listeners, can we separate an artist's behavior from from their work? It could be a long time before Chris Brown does a Honey Nut Cheerio commercial. (laughs) No, you brought murder into it. How many how many artists do we know have actually murdered someone or I guess even been accused of murder? Yeah, I mean, most famously Snoop. Yeah, Mm. that's true, too. I forgot about right off the top of the head. I mean, most famously Snoop went all the way to the verdict and not guilty. You know, did songs about it. Maybe Tupac, her. rape. Yeah, and, and you know, half of half or more of hip hop drug dealing. Mm-hmm. You know, cats are proud of that. Cats, you know, that that's almost like what church is to R and B singing. Streets were at that time to, and to some extent, still are to hip hop. So it was almost like they felt you couldn't like us 
unless mm-hmm. you bought in and appreciated the fact that we're bad people. Right. I mean, right. Or, or, or even or even genre switching. I mean, like for okay, me for example. And you know, am I am I a hypocrite because I like the Rolling Stones "Some Girls" album when in the title track Mick Jagger famously says, "Black girls like to fuck all night." Am I a hypocrite by listening to Led Zeppelin when I know factually that Jimmy Page, uh, you know, was chasing an un, uh, you know underage girls? One in particular, a seventeen-year-old whose name is, escapes me. And I mean, the big elephant in the room as it relates to young girls is R. Kelly, and we did a whole show on Marvin Gaye right. and his relationship with with Jan, with Janice Hunter. You're only a hypocrite if you allow it on some cases and don't allow it on another one. But see, then I'm a hypocrite, right? <laughs> It's hard for me to justify um, knowing that that uh, well, okay, I, I, you know, I'll use the I'll use the Jimmy Page Zeppelin reference. It's hard for me to justify knowing that you know Jimmy Page had uh, a, a relationship, an improper relationship with a young girl as a as an adult man, and be able to introduce this music to my children or explain why I like this. Just in you know, in and of myself, without either lying or abstracting or just not mentioning it. Basically, just holding person somebody's worst behavior against them as far as their art is concerned. And 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 the definition yeah. of that worst behavior, I think it. You know, we we've mentioned a whole bunch of examples here, and it's. I think not all of them are created equal. So, for example, you know, True. the Jimmy Page, uh, Miles Davis, you know, beating his his, right. his women and right. The, you know the drug abuse throughout rock and jazz etc mm-hmm. the, right. the the negative imagery of hip-hop etc not all of those are the same thing so you, you know arthur you mentioned lyrics do we believe that a musician or an artist when they write lyrics when they sing lyrics do we believe that they always come from a first person perspective more than a an author in literature or a screenwriter do we always assume that, that you know those words came out of mick jagger's mouth he means them personally. That's what he truly believes. I think those are in maybe a very, very different bracket to an Amy Winehouse, for example, who's self-harmed, right. or, or a Chris Brown who you know engages in you know domestic violence, or R. Kelly with the statutory rape allegations. Well, let me ask you. I think do when do you draw the line? I think that's the question we need to answer. Is there a line that's being drawn? Like, is is there some things you can tie? You know. If, like, Chris Brown's situation, does that, is that the line that we draw as listeners where we're like, I can't mess with Chris Brown anymore. I can't, you know, I can't, I can no longer, you know, embrace his music, embrace his art because of this. Oh, I think, I think water is going to seek its own level with the individual. You know, I mean, I, I think, you know, going back to your, the original thing that we said when we were talking about this topic, you know, should, or can we separate an artist's behavior from their work? To kind of capitalize on what Jahan just said and what Scoop just said, the question that Scoop just asked is interesting to me because when you, first of all, I don't think no. When it comes to music, I don't think we can separate those two things. And I think when you look at why we can't do that, this one, that's when it becomes very interesting to me because if you look at, say, film or even sports, when you look at athletes, or actors, unless you're in the, in the realm of acting, unless you're talking about a writer or director, we don't go to a movie expecting to see an autobiographical, you know, type of context within this movie dealing with this certain actor. Mm-hmm. When we go to a basketball game or a football game, 
obviously we're not looking at that football game as a representation of this one individual athlete exactly so i think when you look at music and even literature writers there's a certain autobiographical element that's there you know you know that this art is coming from this person there's a more solitary creation there whereas with movies you know there's directors there's all these other things dealing with this this art so you're not looking at the individual as you know this is about him when you come to music and literature you're looking at it and saying okay this is in some way shape or form this has to do with this person in a very intimate way so you start mining it for those little nuggets of information that may point you in the direction and tell you more about this person and i think as listeners and as readers we we seek that out we love it when we can say oh this song you know represented you know this when after rihanna went through what she went, went through what she went through with chris brown that album comes out um i forgot the name of the album that came the one she did right after that it was the one with the, you know supposedly the, the dark album um we started looking at it and so you know started examining it in a different way and i don't think in music i just don't think we can separate artists even you know um singers from their work definitely not hip-hop artists you know because right. hip-hop is so much more autobiographical than any other uh, music form in my in my opinion it's almost demands that you be autobiographical whereas with you know r&b country rock you can sometimes take on the persona of someone else or write about something completely outside of your experience um hip-hop almost demands that you or i should say rap not hip hop rap demands that you you know write about your own experience or something that I, you I claim is your that. experience. I, I, I disagree with that. I, I don't. I, I don't see yeah, what he's saying. Too. I think for me the most too. part, I, yeah, I, I I hear Isaac, and I think I agree with him for the most part on the music thing. I think there's still some artists, personally, that m- musically that I can draw a line on, and there's some that I can't. So it's not exclusive with music with me. I think he has a great point with mu- uh, with acting and with the, you know other forms of art where it's more cut and dry with music. I think it's more a hazy shade of gray that I have a hard time, you know, dealing with. And that's where the hypocrite comes into me because I can excuse some musical artists for some of their behavior and some I can't, you know, but then it lends itself to how much am I in love with that artist and how much am I in love with their music Mm -hmm. that draws the line. I like rock music, but I can't fuck with Ozzy Osbourne. He bites, you know, that whole, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm not an animal lover like that, but dude, you biting <laughs> up heads of pigeons. I can't fuck with your music. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But yeah. I love Michael Jackson to the point if he was molesting kids, that's a hard, I can't, I'm like, I can't, yeah, Michael's now, such Michael a big part like, of my life. I don't know if I can like really separate, like <laughs> yeah, I can't have Mike, that same thing. So that's the wow. hypocrite in me. Yeah. Mike, Mike, Mike's a hard that's, one. That's a hard, hard one. to swallow. Like if he, because you, because nobody here is endorsing child molestation at all. Mm-hmm. But if Michael was guilty for what he was being accused of all those years, I don't know if you know. Not saying he gets a pass, but it's hard to be like I can't, I can't mess with Michael Jackson anymore because of this. Where if it's another artist, I wouldn't have a problem with him mm-hmm. because you're not tied to him. Like yeah, that. you're not. T- there's a different investment there musically. And just to be clear, I mean, I, I, I get, I, t- I do get what Isaac's saying too. The only yeah. thing, the the only thing that I'm disagreeing with is that that rap demands you to be autobiographical. I don't believe that. Once upon a time in the black part of the city, I mean, for example, Ice Cube wasn't in a gang. 
Ice Cube didn't walk around with AK shooting people. You know what I'm saying? Hold on, though. I said, or what you claim to be your life story. I'm not saying what everybody is saying is true. I'm saying it demands that you be autobiographical, whether or not it's whether or not it's true is another yeah. story. I mean, there's a real authenticity aspect to to hip hop that I'm totally aligned with you on. But 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 there's also an underlying thing that, that goes unsaid in hip hop is that a lot of times your entry to the game is always looked at as a savior. Mm-hmm. Like, be lucky that I'm yeah. doing this because rap saved me from doing yeah. this other shit I used right. to do. Right. So I think right. that's the underline that goes into artists when they come into hip hop is that people look at them and they look at it and present it as be lucky I'm doing this because I could have been before I was doing this I was doing this mm-hmm. so this saved me mm-hmm. the point that Scoop just made is really really key because huge swathes of the demographic that listen to hip hop they may buy into it for for different reasons but historically so many of the people who've listened to to hip hop have done so because they want to be part of that world that image and that's what they get sold on first or what they got sold on first and then the lyrics and the talent and the beats, you know, the quality of the music came came second. Mm-hmm. If Ice Cube had had the same lyrical skill and the same mic command, but came out with a completely different perspective, you know, wasn't talking about Compton, wasn't talking about LA riots, etc. Was talking about, you know, flowers and pastel puppies. It It, it wouldn't have had the same... He wouldn't have been respected, right? We know he wouldn't have been. He wouldn't have even got in the door. Not at that. Not at that time. At I think. Time not at that, that time. Place, I think. No. I think. Because if you go back, if you compare, like, Ice Cube in his era to LL in his era, LL didn't come with the hardcore, you know, be gang infested, beat down, you know, downtrodden background. They knew he was a middle class kid from Queens, but he had skills. So they kind of accepted that. At the time, Ice Cube, Ice Cube couldn't have got by with that because the the game had changed so much that that was part of your calling card at that point in time. You know, um, and, and it's gone on through up to, we talked about 50 Cent a couple of episodes ago. And it's the same thing, but you take how it's changing. Now, Kendrick Lamar does not have the same background as Ice Cube, but he's being accepted mm-hmm. from but a yeah, skill standpoint. Right, but he's still got the thread running through his biography of... This is how he grew up. He had these mm-hmm. hard times. He ran with these kind of guys. You know, he saw He's this authentic. stuff with his own eyes. And we, you know, and you know, we assume that's true. Yeah, but but but, but what I'm saying is that that's that's true. For, but what I think the point Arthur's making is that what Kendrick is saying is true, and he's he's being authentic to his own story. But what Ice Cube is saying is not true. It's a persona. It's a persona, right? As far as as far as we know, for Kendrick. You know, you, got, okay. you get people like Biggie or Talib Kweli or mm-hmm. Puffy. All three of them had a public school education. Right. But they don't talk about that at all. You know, they talk about only this is how I came up. You know, this is, you know, Juicy doesn't talk about Biggie's time at public school. Mm. You know, it doesn't talk about his mother. It just talks about I was slanging outside my building. I was dirt poor. No one believed in me. And that's the only future I ever had. Right. Pardon the pun here. He completely whitewashed, probably the worst word I could have chosen actually, but he completely whitewashed, you know, his, his, his childhood in that respect. Mm. Well, look, I, I want to get, I want to get back to the core hypocrisy factor. I mean, let's, let's take, we touched on it, but let's, let's, let me go back to the gold standard and do it in a what if fashion. What if, Michael Jackson, in a court of law, was guilty of child molestation. 
what do you do, Scoop? That's that's why I call myself a hypocrite. I, if it was any other artist, if it was another artist, I would I would hold it against him. But not Michael. But not Michael. That's what I'm saying. That's that. I'm just out. My, I'm I'm a hypocrite in this. There's no doubt about that. I couldn't. I, 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 I because of the music is the music overrides that for me. His yeah, what he's been what able it overrides it. It, it. it overrides it. It all and it, it all yeah, comes back to how much power does that art have? Yeah. Or how much impact and importance does that art art have in your life? And then it allows you to start making not excuses but reasons. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the whole uh, scoop. It's like the Pete Rose thing. You know what I'm saying? It's like what does this have? Does the gambling have to do with him getting into? You know, into into the Hall of Fame or whatever. You know, right. um, you can make excuses for that, or you can go the other route and say, no, it absolutely has something to do with it. So I think it depends if you're not, you know, if if you're a person who isn't so into Michael's music or hasn't influenced your life to that degree, then yeah, you can say, nah, I will never listen to a Michael track again. Um, mm-hmm. If you are someone who's been impacted that way, I think then you can. It allows you to start making those those reasons of of why why you'll continue to listen i think that's that's right actually and you know we don't even need to talk about a fictitious kind of michael jackson situation i said earlier miles davis he's written in his own autobiography i used to beat my women mm-hmm. you know i was addicted to heroin i'm not a nice person yeah. i was mean right. mm-hmm. pretty much right. and mm-hmm. nasty right. and malicious to pretty much everybody i ever cared about right and and his music's not about that so for me personally I take the decision to say, well, that's his music and that's who he was. And my listening to it and my loving it does not classify as an endorsement of who he was in his private life. I think, to be honest with you, I'm way more of a hypocrite when I buy an iPhone Mm. because that's got a very real, you know, I know actually my money is going to this company that is engaged in human rights abuses not mm-hmm. you know not not taking care of their employees and you know massive rate of suicide amongst factory workers la 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 anytime i buy a certain food or mm-hmm. you know you know buy clothes from a particular company i know that they're being made by some little two-year-old in a sweatshop or whatever it's i'm way more of a hypocrite for that mm-hmm. and that's and i think that is probably like the biggest check mark in the you know if you want to come up with a reason why you continue to listen to miles davis or whoever else it is because it's almost impossible to live in this culture without being a hypocrite you know uh to john's point you know if we consume certain goods we're you know by proxy we are um supporting things that we personally don't you know feel good about um but i i mean to me to go back to arthur's original point it's like hey are these two things mutually excuse- exclusive? No. You know, we talk about Miles, just you continue to use him as an example. We say, okay, yes. Was he, you know, we can say he's the greatest, was the greatest musician alive and he was a woman beater. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. He was those two things. So how do we, like Scoop said, where do we draw the line? I think as listeners and as consumers, we choose not to draw that line. We admit both of those things and we listen to the music and condemn the, condemn the person. But do we go, uh, are we consistent with it? Because I know personally I'm inconsistent and that's where I, I really I get into my own hypocrisy because I am I I can't excuse R. Kelly, but I can excuse Chris Brown. I pass, I still mess with Chris Brown. I have a hard time messing with R. Kelly. And that's weird. <laughs> that, that I find hard to understand because right. I know, that I know. That's, like, that's my point. It's hard to understand. I wrestle with it like why? 
You like R. Why? Kelly's music more than you like Chris Brown's music. No, I don't. <laughs> oh. Okay, well, that's that's taken me that's taken me by surprise. That's another nah. show. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Maybe it's because I'm not a huge fan of R. Kelly. I think me being in Chicago, I, that's that's a whole other thing. But for some reason, like you know, I personally hold R. Kelly's actions. How is that possible? I mean, just, <laughs> just out of interest. I mean, <laughs> how is that possible? I mean, I just. What 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 Chris Brown tunes are you hearing, bro? I mean, has he got right. like has he got a vault no, no, no. of unreleased shit that I need no, to hear? I mean, no, what? no, I just you know I, I just I don't like turn off whatever, you know, and my my the, the my mental approach to this. Every time I listen to Chris Brown, I don't hold it against him. It's not like I go out and like buy everything. I'm a big fan of Chris Brown, but it's not like I if he's on a song. You well, know, you know what I'm saying. If, if he's on a Rihanna song, or if he's on or, or beating her up, or if he's on, uh-huh. you know, a, a, a Seven Streeter song or a DJ Khaled song, or if he's like he's on the new song with Nicki Minaj, what I think is ridiculous. I love mm-hmm. it. Only I think only is when, and I'm like I'll still mess with that. But R. Kelly could put out something that's still dope, and I'm still in my mind like I can't mess with him. Uh huh. No, I I think we we get that point. I think we were just all tripping on the fact that you like Chris Brown's catalog better than our. <laughs> no, I never said no, 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 no. I was I was talking about as a person. No, 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 no. Okay, just as an okay, artist, right. what, what what I can't excuse and can't excuse. No, 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 not catalog. No, 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 not at all. I respect well, yeah, well, R. Kelly's I mean, catalog. I'm you're just saying to everybody makes mistakes, right? And so, but okay, I, but you hold Kelly one mistake. There ain't no mistake. But but you hold that mistake or whatever against him. Mm-hmm. I don't hold Chris Brown's mistake against him. I don't know why. Okay. I, R. Kelly has a stronger catalog. It's not. It's something else. But it's got to be. It it's got to be personal attitudes toward the behavior. Maybe not, not that you endorse. Not that you endorse him getting into it with Rihanna. Is it because Rihanna's a grown woman, whereas R. Kelly is allegedly a predator of children? No, I I don't think it's. I don't. I don't. I'm just using him as an example that I think are on equal footing as to why. I can't answer the question and why I'm calling myself a hypocrite because I can't answer that question. Uh-huh. I don't know why. Okay. I, I can't answer okay. why and maybe it's because I don't know. But it doesn't I mean, make I, any I'm sense. Trying to, I'm, t- I, I'm trying to explore this a little bit just to find some common ground, you know. And that's why I'm bringing up like, okay, well, maybe, maybe, because I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I'm not, I don't have the R. Kelly, Chris Brown kind of thing right but you know but i'm just using them as example i can probably go deeper and find some more stuff oh, that i like you know hundreds yeah. of thousands i mean yeah right well yeah yeah but like I mean, look, okay. look we're talking about if james brown if james brown was accused if james brown and elvis Presley were accused of the same crime mm-hmm. let's say murder yeah i'd you be know like put elvis under the jail exactly but james, i'd be like james you know right what? exactly exactly that's my things point. happen that's it thank you that's it <laughs> that's it things happen that's it. What is interesting, though, is where that personality, where that negative personality bleeds into the music, I have a much harder time listening to the music. So, for example, is I, I don't listen to so much hip-hop today because the content of the lyrics, I find it repugnant. I'm just like, you know, grow up, please. I can't, I can't deal with it anymore. But that has something to do with taste, though, I think. But you know what, to... to uh, push back a little bit on what Jahan just said. I don't think the lyrical content of rappers in 2014 is any worse than it was 20 years ago. Uh, they were saying some repugnant, crazy shit in 1994, 1990, whenever. I think that I have an issue with the the delivery. Obviously, it just sounds better. <laughs> it sounded better. The you know hip hop to me or rap 
uh, to me is like the prime example of what we choose to excuse. I, you know, when I was younger, I listened to a lot of stuff that I didn't agree with personally, mm -hmm. but I, I didn't believe these cats was, you know, actually doing a lot of this stuff. You know, I just listened to it because it was, you know, the flow was dope, you know. Um, so to go back to, I, I guess I think I heard from what everybody's saying, it's like we all have all acknowledged our hypocrisy. My question, though, is that, you know, do you guys feel like we should, you know, whether or not we're capable of doing it, should we draw that line? I think as consumers, we should. Yeah. I mean, I, I do. I agree with that. And I, I'm not I, talking about just financial because I'm just as consumers. I do of believe art. that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, do, I do believe that we should. But I, you know, but I also believe that 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 water seeks its own level, that personal attitudes toward behavior dictate your, you know, your response to let's call them, re, you know, revelations of personal activity. Because how do you how do you all feel about polygamy? Not that positively, Arthur. Right. OK. Fella. OK. Marley. Mm hmm. Right. Yeah. Fella, both were activists. Mm -hmm. Both were internationally known activists. Both had attempts on their lives due to a direct result of their activism. Right. right. Both had multiple wives of varying ages. Mm -hmm. Marley didn't necessarily call them wives. Right. OK, so do I yeah. throw out right. Exodus? Right. You got me. You got I me. can't do that. Right. Got me, you and it's not about a gotcha <laughs> thing, but you see what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, I have a personal, I, I don't personally believe that polygamy is for me. Right. 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 I don't personally believe that polygamy is useful for most men, for most people in general. Right. But I have to acknowledge that in certain situations, I'm not, I'm not getting to the music yet, but that in certain situations, polygamy is necessary. I'll give you an example. Let's say there's a, you know, a famine or war or something like that. All the men are dead. Now you've got all these homeless women. But then, you know, you may have some men left and some of which that have the means to be able to take care of multiple people, multiple households. Mm -hmm. uh, now we're getting back to the music. Somebody why, that's making a lot of money why, to be able to do that. Uh, I mean, not not that this is about that, but why he got married? <laughs> well, in Marley's case, he didn't. In Bob's case, he didn't. In Fella's case, he did. And I mean, maybe now you're getting into a cultural thing. You know what I'm saying? But, yeah, but you I get mean, what I'm saying. It's yeah, like I, I think, that ain't for me. But I can't but I can't it, throw it, out right. I can't throw out my <laughs> I can't what? throw out black president. It, but it, it, my, okay, let's go to one of my favorite, Bobby Womack. Uh huh. Not not necessarily polygamy, but there has to be a, a trust factor within friendships. Now, mm. he and Sam mm -hmm. Cook were best friends. Mm -hmm. Sam died, he married his wife. Like, you know, like, real a, quick. Real quick. <laughs> real like, soon I'm like, after. That's the bitch move of, you don't do mm -hmm. that to your boy. Because how much groundwork were you laying? Right, exactly. You don't do that to your boy. But I don't hold that against Bobby Walmack. But anybody else, let mm -hmm. one of y'all try that shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's a, come on now. But how come I don't hold that against Bobby Walmack? And that to me, that to, to me, that's a cardinal sin. In in the man, do, brother, you don't come on, man. You don't do that. You mm -hmm. know, he, right? But woman's got to have it. I know, but right. I can't. I can't. Bobby is still my guy. I got t-shirts with this man's yeah. face on it. If you think you're lonely now, <laughs> right? Exactly. That's my man. Mm -hmm. But I still let that pass. But that's one of to me. That's that's cardinal sin. You don't do that. Your choice of Bobby Womack is a bit more subjective. It's harder to be subjective 
with Bob Marley and Fella purely because their good deeds were so positive. Um, you know, particularly Fella was so impactful for so many people that you know, he's forget the music. The guy's activism had a real life change, a transformative effect for the people of Nigeria. Now, that's that's harder to reconcile or harder to write him off on that basis mm-hmm. than just mm-hmm. I love Bobby Womack's music. And I'm and I'm with you though, 100% on the Bobby Womack thing. But where Arthur screwed me up now is yeah, I mean I'm 100% against polygamy. I think it I, you know, I don't I don't mind saying it. I don't think it's right in any circumstance. But I can't write feather off because right. Aside from the fact that he's a musical genius, and Afrobeat is tremendous. He's one of the it's one of the all-time greats. What that man risked, what that man did, and mm-hmm. the damage that the government did to that man's family purely mm-hmm. because of his beliefs to better society, to help people who needed to be helped. You can't write him off on that basis alone. You can't write him off. And it's interesting that you see get something like this. It plays itself out. We're dealing with it here in America. You know we're. In the Bill Cosby situation. Yes. You know, where it's all the work that Bill Cosby has done yep. over these years. All and the philanthropy. All the philanthropy. Science every, lab, ev- everything. Art and now, donated. you know, he's up, people bringing out statutory rape charges up against him. You know, mm-hmm. now, how, you know, does he get, how do you hold that? It's a, it's a, Isaac, this is the great Greg uh, Lance Armstrong argument. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the uh, everything I, he I did the, for raising money and, and, and you know with cancer with live strong, mm-hmm. but he's a liar. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah, I'm saying? No, I, I he's, he's, uh, like how do you hold that? Other, you know, it's it's an admitted it's funny. one. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, that part Statement of the problem is he's not if he is right. Yeah. You know, it's it's a complexity. It depends upon the individual. It depends upon your your viewpoints. You know, um, just using the polygamy thing as a example you know i think we can all whenever this debate comes up it's very easy to say well okay well so and so was you know was if you knew 100 percent that he was a child molester would you still do blah 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 and listen to his that's the easy one because it's like yeah that's really black and white you know what i'm saying that's mm-hmm. the, but polygamy you know what I'm saying there's an issue that's like not so black and white you know mm-hmm. you right. don't feel so bad if you say ah well you know i'm not really tripping on polygamy you know right it really depends upon your viewpoints and your worldviews and then it depends upon the the nature of the crime. You know, slapping a woman once is a god awful thing to do. Uh, but do you, how do you hold that up against multiple, you know, uh, child right. abuse situations? You know, where you you molested children for ten years versus an artist who slapped a woman once. Now it becomes an issue. Okay, which one is the greater crime? You know, are you doing harm to somebody else? Mm-hmm. What harm are you placing on somebody else? Yeah. Um, so all these things I think weigh in. So ultimately, I agree with you guys. I think we should draw a line, but I think that this is a very con- even when that line gets drawn, it's going to be a jagged line. It's not going to be a straight line. Yeah. That's really interesting. Really, really interesting. And that's what makes this. It goes back to what you said about being subjective. I think it's all subjective because everybody has their own personal line that they're going to draw. Like my line, my line may not be polygamy because I could say that it's not doing any personal harm to anybody. I mean, like, okay, but okay, physically beating somebody yeah. or rapist, that, that you're physically harming somebody else, so that may be my line. E- even if it's got nothing to do with the music, even if that crime yep. has no representation in the music at all. If that's if that's your principle. Okay. See, so you're saying you will, but I just want to be clear that. No, I'm not saying I will. I said this is what we can, you know, what what can happen. 
But what would you do, though? What would you do? It, 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 but it goes back to what we're saying. It depends on who that person is. Like, okay. I, I'm not a big, I'm not a, like, if I stand, like I said, if I drew a line on people physically hurting everybody, and that was my line, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. fine. If, if that's the line I'm drawing, I don't, it may not care who it is, but the, the argument is going to be it depends on who that person is to what Isaac's saying, how much we have invested our lives in that music. Okay. Let's say it's drugs. Mm-hmm. Let's say, you know, I took a stance or any one of us took a stance on drugs, drug use, period. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of times drug use, all you're doing is harming yourself. Now, if you, there may be an extension where others around you are being affected by your drug use. But if, if you put a line that I don't associate, I, I, I don't condone any drug use, period, of anybody, that means, all right, Richard Pryor's off the list. You know what I'm saying? And, right. and if you want to draw that line, but, but if, if, if you don't have a problem with, physical abuse and it's too subjective an area like you said this is the personal matter that they mm-hmm. could have bought on themselves mm-hmm. then I'm fine with you know whoever but drugs are my line and I'm staying on that it gets hard depending on the artist but if you draw that line and this goes with I was saying I think we should all draw a line if we could stick to just that just to be clear though you guys are saying that you'll draw um... I'm saying we should we, when I'm, I'm not saying we, we are okay I'm going to Isaac's question was, you know, the line is going to be jagged. Should we do this? And my answer is, yes, we should. But we're not able to because we're not going to apply those categories uniformly. Because if it's somebody that I like and I've got, you know, their music means something to me because of childhood experience or whatever, I'm not going to put them there. So these lines are useless then, right? Well, I think it goes back to you. Yeah, we we have already acknowledged that. I just think it's subjective, right? But now, you know... I guess what would what would happen, and this is kind of happening to Chris Brown, but you know what would happen if no one, like people, just stopped buying R. Kelly albums, people stop going to R. Kelly concerts. What's the economic impact on this man? Well, it's clear, significant, right? Clearly, has a lot less money, but there's a lot, right? It's you know, so is it reasonable to say that an effective boycott would? And I'm using this in air quotes. Help him, or like with an seeking some kind of it, like an intervention. And I'm saying that's... some of this is happening with Chris Brown from the standpoint: back to jail, broke probation, fifty feet away. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. And he's like, God Does damn. Work, okay. No, no, but but Arthur, when you do things like that, first of all, with the, the whole R. Kelly thing is like he's so far. You know, he's past his prime. So really, I don't think it really matters. Well, at this but point. it's but a, but you can still work out point. within the subject. I get your yeah. point. And so. I think that when you're talking about boycotting and saying, I'm not going to buy this artist's album or go to this concert, it's not really the artist that you're protesting against. It's the action. Mm-hmm. So you're saying, I don't support, you know, women beating or, you know, violence against women. You're, that's the statement that you're making. I'm not going to support that. So if you choose not to involve yourself with this artist, that's effectively what you're doing. Yeah, well, I don't understand your. Are you agreeing with me, or are you? You, I just didn't understand. Are you? Are you countering my my argument, or are you just? No, I'm it? just. I'm just saying. You asked. You asked. What does that do for that? Oh, that oh, artist? oh, yes, yes. Yeah, okay. I don't think it does anything really to that artist, especially if they're so well established. Now, Chris Brown, when this incident with Rihanna happened, he was in the. You know, you could argue, even though he had been around, around a while, he was in the nascent. You know, uh, part of his grown up. You know, mm-hmm. adult career. And so, yeah, I think at that point, if nobody ever buys his albums, he disappears. You know, it definitely Mm -hmm. affects him. But still, what you're really saying is I don't support violence against women. I'm trying to combat that issue, not necessarily this guy. 
Right. But but we're a forgiving audience, though. I mean, we're a forgiving audience. Are if, we? If, Are we? Jeez. I mean, we've been supporting R. Kelly. Let me throw something out real quick, because I know we're trying to wrap this. Let me throw it. Do you think Kanye's behavior has been held against him? I think Kanye's behavior is the opposite of being held against him. But, okay. I mean... I think I think his behavior is, is, is his platform. We wouldn't take... We wouldn't pay attention to Kanye without his behavior. Good point, Jay. He's real unique. And I know that's okay. why you brought him up. Yeah, He's exactly. real unique. Yeah. Because it's like this. You know, Kanye, Kanye can do some crazy stuff. But Kanye said on a nationally televised telethon, George Bush doesn't care about black people. Right. Yeah. He gets a pass on a lot just for saying that. I got you. Right then, yeah, right. you, you know what I'm saying? That that's the whole. That's the whole. Elvis put him under the jail. Yeah, but it's like Kanye. It's way. like man. Yeah, man. You do, man. But you know what? <laughs> when you were, when when you had the opportunity, you stepped up to the plate. As you were a rising yeah. star, he wasn't established like no, that. No, 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 no. Yeah, right? yeah. As you were a rising star, you put it all out there and said, "This man does not care about black people." On a show designed to raise money for this act for 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 katrina right. no, okay, right. i'll do you one better john legend boring. is a very anodyne <laughs> isaac <isn't> boring <laughs> isaac's already thank you. Asleep. thank you thank but you that brother stands up in a way that i want to say no mc does today he is mm-hmm. on twitter tumblr facebook regularly like i'm talking when i say regularly i'm talking about every day talking about injustice arguing with everyday nobodies about their position on racial politics on social issues more than any other musician he's spoken out in terms of the whole mike brown ferguson situation it's a sad day when john legend's voice is louder than ice cubes Mm. yeah particularly on that yeah but I don't really dig John Legend's music like that. But to me, he gets a lifetime pass and I'll never hear any criticism of him on my watch. Okay. It's kind of like the opposite of what we're talking about. He's someone whose music I don't really dig. But because mm-hmm. of what he's done, because of what he says, I went out and bought his album. I wanted to support mm-hmm. him because mm-hmm. of that. You know? Mm-hmm. Huh? Did I listen to it? <laughs> I'm, looking at, I, I'm looking at it right now. Did you did you pay for I, the download but not download it? Right. <laughs> I, I, I flicked through I flicked through every track. Is still on it. Yeah. I flicked through every track. There's, there's actually one alright track. I went to see him in concert as well, purely because of this. And my girl made mm. me go, but you know, that's another <laughs> Yeah. That's another yeah. story. Yeah, say 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 that in the correct order. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it's the opposite of what we're talking about. To me, mm-hmm. I'll always support him as an artist now because of this. Again, it all comes back to the nature of the crime though. You guys mentioned Kanye, yeah. He gets a pass for the, the comment he made about Bush. But tomorrow if a video surfaces of Kanye urinating on a little girl, it's not mm-hmm. gonna matter too much to anybody. You know, including y'all. So it, Which that's you basically Bottom line, I, like yeah. like Scoop said, you know, yeah, we should draw that line. But even if we draw it, it's all complex and twisted up and has to, you know, it's all going to be about our worldviews and what we consider heinous, non-heinous, mm-hmm. you know, harmful, non-harmful, so on and so forth. But it goes to the power of music because if your art and that music is that strong, it's going to override, you know, our principles. 
Which is interesting, and that goes back to Isaac's first point about music being different than other arts. Music has the power, I think, to make us override our own principles in this particular case. I think the bottom line is our principles will always be subservient or subordinate to our needs to live in, in you know, in the 21st century. Music is a need. Music is definitely a need. Art All right, is let's, a need. Let's, all right, let's move on. End of the year, people. Roundtable. <clears throat> I'm like full of self-hate at this point. <laughs> a lot of self-loathing going on in London. <laughs> roundtable for this episode. This show's roundtable. We're going to do our own version of uh, the popular show Unsung. Uh, we're going to ask the question. What great artist do you feel was most directly overshadowed by another? And which album? Uh, both the overshadowed artist and the overshadowing artist best illustrate your view. You go first. All right. Okay. My unsung artist is Terrence Trent Darby. Now, Ter- Terrence Trent Darby, he released his album introducing the hardline of Terrence Trent Darby uh, July 13th, 13 July 1987. And he released his album in a lot of traffic. He had Jody Watley coming out in, in late February of that year. Prince put out Sign of the Times uh, March 31st of that year. Right then, then, then Trent, then Terrence Trent Darby in the summer. Following, immediately following by Bad. And then in the fall, Sting put out Nothing Like the Sun. What a crowded field, man. That's a crazy crowded field. And then, and then... And then, and this is who we got overshadowed by, Faith. George Michael. Mm. Once George Michael mm. put out Faith, Terrence Trent Darby was done. <laughs> Damn. Oh. Damn. Baby. Do you feel he was overshadowed by one particular artist, George Michael, or he just came, he was overshadowed by the whole he field? Was o- he was overshadowed by George Michael. Okay. The only thing that saved him from getting overshadowed by Prince was that Prince didn't have a kiss for 1987. Revolution was gone. He went back to, I mean, he put out his masterpiece, mm-hmm. no doubt. But it was not, it, the, only, the, only, the only song that was really, that was uh, on MTV at that time was You Got the Look. And it was strong for him, but it wasn't. So wait, wait. You even, know what I'm saying? Even it wasn't it, Prince. Wait, but even in all that traffic, if you just remove George Michael, what happens to Terrence Trent Darby? He spots. George took it all out of the room because George came with the same. Is that a kind London of, thing? It's a British soul thing. And hear my air quotes again. Uh-huh. It's a British soul John, thing. John, you got to explain this. But wait, but but I mean, um, Terrence was American. Doesn't matter. But why? Why is it suddenly a UK thing? Well, it's a UK thing because he was presented that way. Presented what way? He was presented as a UK, UK artist. artist. Was he? In the yeah, US. Over here, in the yeah, US, over here, he was presented yeah, yeah. as a UK yeah. artist. 
But how? Because he showed up on uh, American talk shows with an American accent. Well, I mean, no, no, he didn't. Not over here. We, I mean, he didn't have, have no an good accent. accent or nothing like that. I mean, I'm I'm just telling you. I mean, he had a, he 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 came out like uh you know like um uh. So you're saying maybe are you saying like the sound the sound he came with was more kind? Of, I mean, I kind of agree with that in the way that maybe sign your name for example is almost a Sade song. saying even though I, I think taking the geography out of it i don't even need, i don't even think you need to go well, there here were two you know at the time when prince was prince should have dropped housequake by the way as a single he would have you know i think he would have killed killed radio mm-hmm. a little bit and killed clubs that way and I, I never understood why he didn't do that but um in the midst of prince being prince androgynous uh sensitive esoteric mystical Sting being withdrawn, reserved, you know, a whole of Englishman in New York is about how great his manners are. You suddenly had Terence Trent Darby and George Michael, two very, very masculine men. Didn't matter, they come from different mm-hmm. places. Both of them were in black leather, adults, right? Both singing about very, very masculine themes, particularly, you know, particularly George Michael, very, very overtly sexual themes. I think I think maybe maybe that's why they were compared and contrasted and maybe that's why they were fighting for that spot that kind of all male you know almost sort of tough sexual god kind of role it, the, the the role that prince couldn't quite get to because he was he was more you know arguably perceived as effeminate in that way so you don't think you don't think that George overshadowed Trent? No, I I, I do. I mean, introduce, see, okay. introducing the okay. Hardline. That's a massive album. I don't know what it sold, but over here, dance, little sister. If mm-hmm. you let me stay, wishing well, sign your name. Those were top ten hits here. They, I mean, they smashed it, mm-hmm. and you can still hear wishing well and sign your name on on the radio. That album is a as a that album is a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, but see, and other things too. And I mentioned this radio station when we were talking about Sade. But in Berkeley, California, um, KBLX would program "Sign Your Name," and I'm saying Trent Trent Darby was getting programmed with the likes of Michael Franks and Weather Report and Al Jarreau, and you know, so he was getting he was getting exposed to a variety of different yeah, artists. I mean, he, I mean uh, was, a variety of different he was, audiences. He got heavy MTV rotation for two videos. And really, he, he was yeah, still for three he videos, was still I think. in you know smash hits. I had a poster of him, a huge 
poster of him on my wall. He was still in Smash Hits magazine over here, um, as was George Michael. I think, you know, you just got to listen to the music. Introducing the Hardline is a more mature album than Faith is. Faith is beautiful. I mean, it's a very mature album as well, in my opinion. One of my favorite albums of all time. In fact, I prefer Faith to Introducing the Hardline, but the sound, the production, the engineering, the songwriting on Introducing the Hardline is more mature. You don't have an I Want Your Sex on Introducing the mm-hmm. Hardline. You know, George Michael came out and shook his ass on uh, on, on stage. Terence, he was, he was a bit different. He was more kind of musical. He wanted to put himself forward as a musical genius. George did too, but that was lost. You had to read the liner yeah. notes to understand that George was a musical genius, that he had done all of this himself and be blown away at what he'd done. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't marketed that we- way. He was still marketed as a pop icon. This is coming after Wham. Terence didn't have no Wham. I thought right. I'd say he had to be marketed right. because he I had mean, a he was being background. marketed. He was he was being marketed as an R&B artist. So was George, too. right? On the low. At that time. No, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm talking, about, I'm talking yeah. about George. I'm talking about George. I mean, Terrence was, yes, but it's like, it's almost, to, you know, Terrence being, uh, you know, coming out of like an Otis Redding review kind of kind of sound his for, for to me is that wishing well and uh, it's amazing you, you can pick george michael out of there to be the one thing that eclipsed him with all that competition but, but i think i think, uh, he's right. I, I think I he think was he's he, right. i think he terrence would have held his own terrence would have held his own if uh, I even agree. i mean even with sting because sting was you know i mean he had he had kenny kirkland and Branford marcellus um daryl jones and um uh omar kim still playing so he still had that he still had that jazz slash black sound you know um and he had the single um we'll be together we'll be together tonight that was the big single for him off that was the lead single for him um Uh, englishman in new york was massive too though right oh yeah yes it was you're absolutely right but nonetheless wishing well wishing well and if you let me stay was holding it was was holding his own against nothing like the sun but once faith happened that was it i agree with you guys i agree with you guys on a musical level as far as song versus song album over album but and I hate to sound like the segregationist of the crew, but if I go back to that time period, there was room for in, in my, you know, uh, music, you know, in my mind, I guess, in my musical mind, there was room for George Michael and Terrence Trent Darby. They didn't exist in the same space to me. Prince and Terrence Trent Darby did exist in the same space. And they both had that visual because at this point, this is the late 80s, visual representation had a huge part to do with, you know, with music. So when I saw Prince and I saw Terrence Trent Darby, I saw some of the same elements, the videos, the, you know, kind of the different way of dressing the white girls in the videos. These were, you know, they kind of existed in the same space to me. So Terrence always took a second uh, seat to Prince because Prince was Prince. So I I see what you're saying and I agree with you musically, but I hate to say it. I, I just feel that, yeah, there was, I didn't put Terrence and George Michael in the same category. Therefore, uh, George Michael did not, in my opinion, at that time in my life, didn't overshadow Terrence Stradarby at all. I think, if anything, it just comes down to the three things. Number one, George Michael's white. Yep. In 1987, that's always going to get you more play. I'm glad you said that, not me. <laughs> it's, it's a fact. Number two, the songs just were that much more accessible for George Michael. He also came on the back of Wham. That's kind of like a 2.5. Yeah. But the third point, the biggest point is Terrence ain't had controversy like I Want Your Sex. That, uh, I remember that was a huge deal overseas. Mm-hmm. 
that was a huge deal huge deal here and i'm sure it's a huge deal in the states too it was just you know that title coming from that bubblegum kind of pop white artist was mm. was shocking he then had the video for it and everything he was giving interviews about it this was coming at a time you know aids right it's coming uh, you know, just mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. aids was suddenly a lot was being made of that so anything that was sexual was you know suddenly deemed irresponsible etc he just got a lot of media attention because mm -hmm. of that good point wow good point all right who's next who's next isaac step up um okay mine uh we kind of touched on many 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 episodes ago but my overshadowed artist is paris and the album is sleeping uh, with the enemy oh, and good. i think that this album came out in 1992 yeah i actually i thought it was some r&b stuff and i was like let me do hip-hop i haven't done hip-hop in a while so um i think it was overshadowed by both uh two public enemy albums um which came out previously which was it takes a nation of millions and then fear of a black planet if you look back at you know anybody who knows sleeping with the enemy or who knows paris's aesthetic his uh his lyrical aesthetic you know that is very very similar to public enemy's aesthetic of black nationalism basically and that slightly political or overtly political angle on afrocentrism so if you look back at that time period, there was a lot of Afrocentrism in, in, in rap. You know, it was a great time for that. But PE had kind of cornered that market on that type of political, black nationalistic, you know, uh, uh, area of, of Afrocentrism hip hop. In contrast with, say, an X-Clan, you know, who presented it in a, in a, in a different fashion. Um, they kind of crossed the same lines, but it was just a, a different representation of the same thing. Paris's representation of that was very, very similar to Public Enemies. It was obviously, it was obvious that they were a huge, you know, influence on them. Sleeping with the Enemy to, to me is a classic album. Had it not been for uh, Public Enemy in existence, I think that album would have uh, supplemented or supplanted uh, uh, It Takes a Nation of Millions. You know, it would have been on that level. Um, but it wasn't. And that album, he, he got, you know, pub for that album. He got press around that album simply because of the Bushkiller track. And the fact that his record company uh, wouldn't release it. I think it was uh, uh, Arthur, what's uh, Jimmy Ivins? Interscope. Was it Interscope? Yeah, I think it was Interscope who wouldn't release it. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a lot of press around it. I think it was completed in 91, but it didn't come out until 92 because he put it out on his own, his own label. But it didn't get the publicity or the love that I think it could have gotten had you not had that type of aesthetic that lyrical aesthetic and that that those those political overtones and views already in the field because of pe um so i think in a, in you know in that regard i think paris was overshadowed let me ask Chuck you a question and, uh, do you think do you think if pe didn't exist that paris since he, they were such a big influence on him that paris would even had you know the idea to go there yeah, that's and see that's that's the catch twenty two because I don't think so. I think that Public Enemy had to exist for him to right. to be influenced in that manner. Um, his his first influences were you know the the black nationalists of the sixties and seventies, um, from Malcolm to to the Black Panthers were his first influence. Right. But putting that into a musical context, I think it takes a nation of millions. Obviously, had a huge impact on him, and I can't remember when. 
his first album, The Devil Made Me Do It. I think that came out in 1990. Um, right. So that was obviously influenced by PE as well. Yeah. But, you know, you're looking at a, at an MC who had the, um, you know, the voice and kind of the flow of a Rakim, you know, combined with that political stance of P.E. and could make beats, you know, what I'm saying yeah. he produced that album himself. Um, you know, he was a monster. And it's like this, you know, he never I don't think he ever reached the point he could have reached were he not overshadowed by um, his mentors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's an amazing amount of overshadowing in hip hop. That's a good one, Isaac. I knew you. We we were Arthur and I were like somebody because we were looking at you know who's gonna come with the hip hop, who's gonna come with the hip because we were like we could do a whole subject on you know how he you know just different hip hop acts that if he clips the other ones in yeah. specific albums that if he clips you know if Paris was from Los Angeles would he still have been eclipsed? That's a good point. They're coming out of New York. He's coming out of Oakland or San Francisco, Oakland. which at that time certainly wasn't viewed mm. as a cultural center for hip hop amongst the world so if he'd been from la what would the dynamic have been uh i I think it would have been the same because i think at that time period and you guys can can uh chime in but i think at that time period it was east coast versus west coast it wasn't so much new york versus la i think san francisco and the bay area um and he was he was really from from frisco more than oakland at that point i think he at that time period but um it was san francisco and the bay area oakland kind of in some in that in that context of coast versus coast, they got lumped in with right. LA. That's now, when it comes saying, yeah. to sound and everything and MCs, and you get really detailed, there's a huge difference between yes. Bay Area yes. rappers and LA rappers, obviously. But this in '92, I don't think G Funk had completely taken over everything, so you still had the battle. Um, but I think that to answer your question, I think the overshadowing was mainly because of the, the content. I don't think that if he was from LA. Because, you know, Cube obviously did what he did, but Cube was still, even when he was at his most political, he was still a, he was still a gangster. You know, Paris couldn't exist anywhere other than other than the Bay Area. Yeah, because because as he referred to himself as the black, as the Black Panther rap, you know, Oakland still as the birthplace of the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. Oakland still had that underlying mentality, whereas L.A. never had it. And even if we're really honest about this, his sound wouldn't even been the same if he was from L.A. Yeah, but I'm talking more about from a commercial support network you know being in the thick of it in los angeles i hear or, or you. even or even paris coming from new york no no, that, no what, you, you know, know what it would, is would that have had an impact what if what if, what if paris what if paris was a death row artist that's really the question right yeah, yeah paris had been bigger yeah, he yeah, right yeah, that's, that's a good point because yeah, he yeah. had death jam to Jahan's point if he's from la yes i think he gets a little bit more love but to arthur's point he couldn't exist existed anywhere other than the Bay because it, you know, that other than the public enemy influence, like I said before, that black nationalist influence from those classic black nationalists of the 60s and 70s, you know, formed his foundation. And nowhere was that, you know, the Black Panther uh, uh, ideology, nowhere was it more present than his birthplace, Oakland. That was a good pick. Yeah, it was a great pick. All right, John, who, me or you? Oh, he you go flipping switches. You uh, go go ahead, Scoop. All right, mine is more of a, a artist situation, not necessarily a particular album. Um, mine is uh, Gladys Knight being overshadowed by Aretha Franklin. <laughs> I just, I just really believe that as as big as Gladys Knight was, they they ruled music from a female soul singing standpoint yeah, during the exact same time. And if there was no Aretha Franklin, it from a singing standpoint, I may be in the 
very, very, very minority here. Gladys Knight to me is one of the greatest singers I've ever heard in my life, period. I mean, she's the epitome of soul singing. And um, I just think if Aretha Franklin wasn't around because of the way she sings, it, you know, she, she would have been just as big as Aretha Franklin. But, you know, with Aretha there doing that, we're talking about, what, a 13, 14, 15-year period where they were, you know, their careers aligned together? And you think of the big songs that Gladys came up with, how huge they would have been had Aretha Franklin not been around, so... I've always felt bad for Gladys that she had to come in at the same time, you know, that Aretha was around. Kind of like Isaac, those athletes that had to play during the Patrick Ewing and Charles Barkley's and Carl Malone's playing under Jordan. You're just not going to get it. <laughs> you know, you'd have been, Charles Barkley would have been considered one of the greatest basketball players ever if he had come up in another era. But you came up during this time, and I feel the same way about Gladys. It's like you came up under Aretha, you know, and that to me... The greatest overshadowing in this, and that's what I'm saying, his whole career is, is that, and I hate to give him credit for this, but it's not that I agree with it, but Rolling Stone has Aretha Franklin in the 100 Greatest Singers ever at number one. Gladys is number 51. You know what I'm saying? So you remove Aretha from there, Gladys is in top 10, unquestionably. Let's say Aretha Franklin didn't exist. Does Gladys Knight have Aretha's catalog you know does she have the electrifying Aretha Franklin does she have uh, I never loved a man the way I would love you does she have Lady Soul does she have Spirit in the Dark does she have Young Gifted and Black I say does she have Sparkle I say I say yes she got Sparkle yeah because Curtis Mayfield is going to mess with her you know and the stuff that Curtis Mayfield gave to Aretha he continued to give to Gladys because they were successful just look what they did with Claudine together Um, my thing is that I say yes, because at some point she separates from the pips earlier, and they put her out there solo. You know, and with that alone, you have people writing for her as a solo artist as opposed to writing for her with the group. Um, and I think she, she gets, gets those songs. Establish herself in that. I really do. In that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Exactly. Because their voice, their voice, the pips are great. You know, that gave Gladys an audience, and they put her in the you know more the Motown group mode. Aretha was just a solo artist, and she had. Everybody, like I said, from Curtis Mayfield to Burt Bacharach writing songs for her because she was just that singer. They wanted to work with that voice. You remove that voice, I think Gladys becomes that voice, that soul singing voice that they're all like producers and songwriters are chiming to get to. But could it be that Motown just didn't know what to do with Gladys? That, that Gladys was hampered by Motown, whereas Aretha was not? That could be true, too. That, that's, that's a good point. But you're saying she becomes the vehicle, right? 
Yeah, I think so. It's like I mean, Aretha was R. F. Martin's vehicle for a number of years. That's a good point. I can see that. Go on, Jahan. All okay, right, I'm ready. Right, I'm ready right, now. All right, all right, all right, all right. So my pick is, I believe that R. Kelly overshadowed and completely stole the career of Aaron Hall. Good Without one. Out question. Good one. That there's no argument. I think you may win hand. That's the because Aretha, Aretha did not eclipse. Gladys's career. Right, she just right. stopped Gladys from reaching the stratosphere that you R. Kelly, that's R. man. R. Kelly took his entire aesthetic. Yeah, he did it. Yeah, exactly. In voice, in songs, mm-hmm. in image, in production. He basically took Aaron Hall's template. He cut Aaron Hall out of it and he copied and pasted himself into it. And, and the fact and he did it purposely like it really wasn't something that he developed here in Chicago and you know <laughs> he's like I want to sound like Charlie Wilson no he was actually going to the guy concerts listening and stealing everything Aaron Hall this is a purposeful yeah, with, this is ridiculous with a notebook yeah. and a dictaphone yeah, yep, yeah, exactly, exactly let's just make it clear gospel influenced vocals New Jack Swing style production I'll get into that in one sec because that's R. Kelly's saving grace. And the look, black dude, bald head, goatee, shades, no shirt, waistcoat, big baggy pants. That's, you know, he took it 100%. If you saw R. Kelly in concert around the 12 play era, it was basically a guy concert. Mm -hmm. That's what it was doing. But the saving grace, I think, for R. Kelly is he created a new sound. You know, mm-hmm. he moved away. He his sound, while it started that way with public announcement, etc. When he started producing his own stuff, your body's calling, bump and grind, uh, twelve play, sex me, etc. You know, he created his own sound. Almost, he was almost Isley Brothers, heavy duty Isley Brothers influence. That to me is kind of like the saving grace. But but yeah, he stole his life. Totally stole his life. How different would it have been, or could this have happened, if Teddy Riley? never worked with any other artist and focused all that music just in the guy and Aaron Hall had all of that everything he gave yeah, to Keith Sweat nah, all that if he just like alright guy is going if he just was the producer of that one group and all that music he made all went to one group could R. Kelly have still stolen Aaron Hall that, that's a hell of a point and my answer to this is yes wow alright so I hear you I hear you because if if suddenly there's no Black Street. Yeah, yeah see that's the no, thing. To know, me, it's Tammy Lucas, more black no than guy. Yeah, all just, all those songs go to Aaron there's, Hall, there's, and there, and there's not even any Damien Crazy Legs Hall. Either way, the out the answer to me is absolutely yes. Okay, because if you're talking Teddy Riley still in control of Aaron Hall's career for the next five years, you're talking Teddy Riley production, hard edged, hip hop influence, danceable, you know, jamming, just hitting hard. R. Kelly went completely in a different direction. He went with a real soulful, like I said, Isley Brothers influence, mm-hmm. laid back soul vibe that R&B for, for several years hadn't had. And this is also at the same sort of time that hip hop started being a bit more laid back, at least on the West Coast with the, and, and actually on the East Coast with the West Coast with the G-Funk stuff and the East Coast with the tribe, kind of jazz inspired, gangstar yeah. jazz inspired stuff. R. Kelly came at the right time for that. He really gave people that kind of slower, laid-back vibe that I think, 
you know, it was new to people and people wanted. I think had Aaron Hall stayed with Teddy, it would have been a little bit more played out in a lot of people's minds. Okay. I don't know. I'm thinking of songs like Just Chill, you know, when he would have still incorporated and I hear you. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just asking a question, but I'm figuring it out in my mind. I'm like, if, if Aaron Hall is connected to all the songs, like you take the Keith Sweat songs, give them to Aaron Hall and make him guy records. You take Just Get Paid by Johnny Kemp. You know, that's a but national still, anthem. And if that's a guy record, all of a sudden, I think Aaron Hall becomes a front voice that he elevates to a degree that I, I don't know if... But you're I still think in the same sandbox, though. You're okay. still playing in the same sandbox. Whereas, I, you know, if, if Teddy sticks with Aaron, you still don't get a I Believe I Can Fly. You don't get a step in the name of love. You know what I'm saying? You don't... He, I think John's point is that, especially if you look at the R. Kelly album onward after that, he went in a completely different ter- in, in a direction. Right? No, no, you know, no. I get. I'm just saying. Does what he, he had done before? No, I'm, I'm just saying. Does it go from eclipsing him to them coexisting? That's all I'm saying. Because he eclipsed him. No, because I'm I just think thinking that, he becomes bigger if you give him all of these songs. And well, is, is I, I R. Kelly at pop- that point? Okay. I think at that point, to what like what John just said, I think maybe Aaron plays himself out. You know, I. I don't see Aaron going in in a divergent direction than what he had done before. And I think R, by the time R. Kelly has stolen that from him, he had done it so well that it's like, you know, what is Aaron going to do after that that's going to eclipse what R, what R stole from him, basically? It was bad enough that basically we know, right? We would listen to the radio. We were in record shops every single day after school. We know. But people who didn't really know, it came off looking like Aaron Hall was an R. Kelly clone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like, poor, yeah. poor Aaron Hall, man. I mean, because of that, I think the image played so much on that. If R. Kelly had a different image, maybe they could have coexisted. But because the image was identical, people just thought, yeah, Aaron Hall's just, you know, he's a B-list R. Kelly. I'll close this out by saying, I went to see Aaron Hall in concert. Round about 95, let's say. He's not giving a good show. He's not doing very well. The audience is listless. You know, he's he's unsure of himself. And that's his that's his fault. So right at the end of the show, he you can see he's insecure. You can see he's got problems. And he says, is there anything that you'd like me to sing? And someone from the audience, sh- I still remember it was like <laughs> yesterday. Someone from the audience shout out, bump and grind. <laughs> And he dropped the mic and walked off the stage. That and that is, was it. But that sums it up. That sums it all up, right? It does. You know who really messed up his career? Was that white stripper he was dating. What was her Gloria name? <laughs> Gloria Oh, yeah, okay. I'm, I stand corrected. The Latina stripper he was dating. That's who messed up his career. <laughs> yeah, you're confusing him with Alexander O'Neill. You know, and, and, <laughs> and also, I, I have no sympathy for him because I mean, it's terrible that I have no sympathy for him in the face of a you know child sex predator but <laughs> i mean <laughs> have you have you seen aaron hall speak i mean the most gutter hood uncouth ignorant bastard that has ever spoken i mean it's horrific it's horrific that that'll stop you listening to his music trust me wow uh, hey is it a mate are you surprised it just there's not gonna be a news story that hasn't been a news story or just Aaron Hall just randomly just walking up and like R. R. Kelly, <laughs> you know, just oh, like killing R. Kelly, just, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, just I'm like surprised. you know, you stole you stole everything from me. Just that moment we just rolls up on him and like tries to take him out. And R. Kelly's in the hospital. Yeah, that that five heartbeats moment. Yeah, five heartbeats moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we just gets jumped. 
<laughs> like Aaron, Aaron just like rolls up on him and just jumps him. Right. But then they like go like a stalker McTally was like, I'm taking this dude out. Like he's sitting in a room somewhere like R. Kelly still, you know, looking at guy. That's my pic- video. Right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And he just rolls up on him. I'm picturing Aaron Hall like some Day of the Jackal exactly. type situation. Exactly. I think, Jahan, you won because that's a totally clip. That was a good one. Yeah, that's a totally clip because of what that. happened in his career. Yo, he got annihilated. Right. I could see Aaron Hall being like, looking at the video, being like, right. that's my <laughs> flashlight headband, <laughs> nigga. <laughs> <laughs> And you don't stop. This has been episode 33 of the Music Snobs podcast. We thank you for joining us. Find us online at themusicsnobs.com. And you don't stop. The entire library streams at soundcloud.com slash themusicsnobs. Our Twitter handle at Total Music Snobs. And you don't stop. And our show notes can be found on Flipboard on your iOS, Windows phone, or Android device. Uh, Search for The Music Snobs. See you next show.